Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, corwinrosewood.com. Now on with the show. The Haunting of Islington Manor, Part 1. Welcome, I'm Corwin Rosewood, and tonight we take a journey back in time. A glimpse through the pages of history to learn a little bit more about some of our favorite gay vampires. For tonight's tale, we turn back the clock a few hundred years to the Regency era, where Victor has recently experienced the heartbreak of Julian turning into the villainous Lyran. Victor has been drinking his pain away across Europe and today finds himself somewhere in the English countryside. Scene, the stables at Walsh Manor. Victor woke up to the clanking sound of carriage wheels and shouting footmen. He slowly opened his eyes and squinted uncomfortably as he felt the bright sunlight streaming through the slats. The sounds outside only amplified the aching pain in his temples. After all the drinking he did last night, his hangover was going to be a brutal one today. He pushed himself up to sitting and looked around, smirking to himself. Oh yes. Last night really had been something. He was, in fact, sleeping in a pile of hay. He was possibly in a horse's stall, though he couldn't be sure, but he was definitely somewhere in the horse stables. His black shirt was mostly undone, his cape was crumpled somewhere far away, and one of his shoes was missing entirely. He sat up and patted around at his clothing, hoping to locate his tobacco and matches, but they were nowhere to be found. He sighed, pushing his fingers against his now aching forehead. That stable boy had been quite a bit more aggressive a lover than he had anticipated. He thought with a sassy grin as he felt the little bruises along his collarbone. He reflected on the evening for a moment with delight. But soon the dark storm clouds of the last few months returned as he became more awake. Julian, his betrayal, his horrors were still fresh in his mind and seared his emotions like an open wound. Although last night had been a welcome respite from his misery, it was only a patch, just a fleeting moment of brilliance in a sea of pain. One role in the literal hay, no matter how fabulous, was not going to fix his broken heart. He pulled up his shirt and began to button it, but he found it wasn't worth the hassle and gave up. 
He located his long black cape and draped it lazily around his shoulders, rummaging through the hay briefly in search of his other shoe or his tobacco pouch. His hand bumped something cold and he delved into the hay. It was the dregs of a bottle of whiskey. Never one to waste good liquor, he unstoppered it and quickly downed the rest of the bottle before returning it to the hay. He staggered to standing, running his hands through his long black hair and pulling out a few pieces of hay in the process. The shouts from the servants in the front of the house were growing louder now, and he supposed he ought to see who the visitors were. He moved quietly towards the stable entrance, focusing his vampire senses to be as stealthy as possible, making sure to see without being seen. He peered around the side of the door and focused his vision to the front courtyard. The carriage was stopped now, and a few servants had rushed outside, patting down their clothes and straightening bonnets as they waited to see who would emerge from the elegantly detailed carriage. He assessed the carriage as he waited for the footman to open the door. He didn't pay much attention to carriages since he mostly tried to avoid them, but it was obvious this one was expensive and well-built. A moment later, the footman opened the door and a very fashionable pair of shoes emerged, followed by a lady, the sight of whom made Victor quickly duck his head behind the stable door. With her light blonde hair and round face, her blunt cut bangs and eyes full of emotion, she was unmistakable. Although he had only glimpsed her for a moment, he knew the visitor could only be Ingrid Johannesson. Victor groaned and immediately began making his way to the back exit of the stables. Ingrid wasn't exactly a friend of Victor's, but she wasn't an enemy either. Ingrid and her sister August were vigilantes of a sort. Ingrid dreamed of helping save humans from the evils of the supernatural, and August just liked a good fight. Together, they often tried to stop the most evil vampires or rogue werewolves, and occasionally recruited the kinder vampires to their cause. In simpler times, before he went bad, Victor and Julian had been roped into helping them a few times. It had been fun, but that was before. Before Julian had become Lyran, before all Victor's hope for humanity and himself had vanished into thin air, before he had given up on everything. If Ingrid was here, she only wanted one thing, to get Victor's help, and he wasn't interested. He ducked out through the back door and edged around the back of the manor, listening to see if she was headed his way. He didn't hear anything. He crept towards the kitchen door, passing the laundry basins on his way. He paused for a moment as he noticed his other shoe floating in one of the basins along with something that looked very much like a pair of men's linen undergarments. Now how did that get there, he wondered. After a moment of thought, it came back to him and he smiled to himself at the memory. It really had been a most enjoyable evening. He made his way over to the basin and fished out his shoe, pouring the water out of it and reluctantly sliding it over his foot, shuddering at the gross, squishy feeling. He stood up a little straighter now and adjusted his cape, heading into the kitchens. He opened the door and walked inside, 
barely paying attention to the freshly baked loaves of crusty country bread being laid out on the long wooden tables. He dodged the cooks and staff who mostly ignored him, although a few of the scullery maids gave him suggestive glances, which he met with a knowing wink. He made his way through the kitchen and out onto the stairs towards his rooms at Walsh Manor. The manor was an older estate owned by Edward Walsh, a man who could only be described as a bit of a wet blanket. He was born into money, bland and unobtrusive, well-meaning but not in any interesting way, and incredibly easy to manipulate. Although he was human, he had a keen interest in the supernatural and a large collection of magical artifacts, or at least he thought they were magical artifacts. From what Victor could tell, they were mostly just harmless trinkets sold to him at steep prices by some rather savvy traders. Victor had been traveling across Europe since his breakup with Julian, setting up at various upper-class houses. He usually charmed the owners with his wit and style for a few days, regaling them with tales of his wild vampire adventures, impressing them with his powers, showing off his fangs and red eyes as a parlor trick. Then, he would get himself one of the dozens of rooms in their far too large estates and drink all of their liquor until the pain in his heart ebbed away or he simply couldn't stand up any longer. Usually, the owner of the manor would kick him out after a few weeks of moping and drinking, and he would move on to the next unsuspecting member of the gentry. Lucky for him, Walsh was an exceptionally easy person to push around, and Victor had managed to stay there for a few months now, slowly making his way through Edward's liquor stores. Edward was easy to deal with. He had lots of liquor and many attractive employees. Victor had no interest in leaving Walsh Manor and even less in whatever Ingrid was up to. He made his way up the stairs to his rooms and finally saw the person he was looking for. Cadwell, Walsh's put-upon butler, was in the hallway, assigning the servants to prepare a room for Ingrid should she need it. Cadwell, my good man, Victor said, coming up behind him and clapping him on the back. Cadwell jumped in surprise, but quickly gained his composure and suppressed his frustration at Victor's presence. Ah, Mr. Nightingale. Good afternoon, sir. How might I assist you? He said smoothly. Can you have Sally bring up a goblet of that crimson liquid to my chambers, Cadwell? You know the one. Also, and this is very important, I do not want to see the woman who just arrived at the manor. If she asks after me, please tell her I have left the country, I am indisposed or even deceased. Whatever suits your fancy. Victor accompanied this statement with the tinkling of coins, carefully tucked into Cadwell's perfectly pressed waistcoat pocket. Cadwell patted the pocket quickly and then nodded his understanding. Of course, sir. Understood. Will there be anything else? Don't forget the blood, Cadwell. I'm famished, Victor said, before turning into his bedroom and slamming the door behind him. About 20 minutes later, Victor was strewn across the bed, languishing in his misery again. His soggy shoes had been removed and dumped unceremoniously in a corner. His backup tobacco had been located, 
and he had enjoyed his morning smoke. But soon his melancholia had filled his mind again. He had dug around under the bed until he found a mostly full bottle of liquor to ease his pain. He was sipping from it thoughtfully when there was a hammering at his door. Ah, Sally, finally, he said, jumping up. He opened the door and frowned. Standing before him with her perfectly tailored lavender dress, blonde bangs, and fashionably modern shoes was Ingrid Johannesson. Victor slammed the door in her face, shouting, I'm not here! She hammered at the door and shouted, Don't make me break this door, Victor. You know I will, and then Walsh will have an excuse to throw you out. Victor held his head in his hands, the ache getting worse from the sound of her pounding on the door outside. He opened it again. Please stop doing that. This sound is making everything worse. Ingrid put her fist down with a calm smile. Just let me in, Victor, and let's talk reasonably. Victor poked his head out into the hallway. Where the hell is Cadwell? He was supposed to stop you. Ingrid rolled her eyes and stepped into the messy room. You are far too broke to be using bribes to get you anywhere, Victor. You ought to be using your good looks and charm. Play to your strengths, darling. Victor sighed, looking down the deserted hallway. He noticed a small silver tray on the floor near his door with a goblet of blood on it. He snatched it up and greedily took a gulp, shuddering with delight as the feeling of still warm blood entered his veins. At least there was some good news. Did you pay Cadwell more than me? Victor asked. Of course, Ingrid said, sitting daintily on the side of his bed and looking around the room in disdain. It was rather cheap, too, she said. I don't think he likes you very much. Victor sighed, downing the rest of the blood and shaking a little as he felt it free him from some of the stranglehold of his hangover ache. He shook out his hair and looked at her in frustration. I don't want to be involved in whatever you're doing, Ingrid. Please, leave me alone, he tried. She crossed her legs and carefully removed her long gloves. Victor, please, this is serious. He rolled his eyes. It always is with you, Ingrid. She narrowed her eyes and continued. I am hosting a party this evening at Islington Manor. It's a very important party, and I need it to go well. There is a lot at stake, and it's tremendously important to me that all the guests are taken care of. What does that have to do with me? He asked nervously. He was starting to get that feeling he always did with Ingrid. Like he was a fly caught in her web, and it was only a matter of time before she won. I want you to be security, she said. Victor snorted with laughter and turned around to find his bottle of whiskey again. I mean it, she said firmly. You are charming and attractive. They won't perceive you as a threat, but you're also a talented fighter. And most importantly, I can trust you. Victor found the bottle and sipped from it. Why do you think you can trust me? He asked. Ingrid looked at him sincerely, with a look of genuine kindness he was sure had won her many arguments. Because you have a kind heart and you hate to see people suffering. Victor rolled his eyes and chugged on the whiskey. 
I think you've got me confused with some other vampire. Hardly, Ingrid said sharply. Now stop throwing yourself a pity party and come help me. It will do you some good to get out of this place. She turned up her nose at the crumpled piles of clothes and empty bottles around her. Victor felt the pain of the last few months, or years, he wasn't really sure how long it had been, welling up inside him. He remembered for a moment the last time he'd seen Ingrid. He had fought back to back with her. He remembered for a moment the glowing look in Julian's eyes when he'd seen Victor save those helpless humans that night. He bent his head so she wouldn't see the tears building in his eyes. I'm not who you think I am, Ingrid, he said softly, his voice ragged. Not anymore. I heard about what happened, she said, standing up and placing a gentle hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry, Victor, but that doesn't change who you are. You're still a good person, and there are people who need your help. No, Victor said, looking up with tears streaming down his face. That wasn't me. That was all him. Don't you see? He was what made me good. It was Julian, not me. I'm just a silly, worthless drunk. You don't want me on your team. That's nonsense, she said, squeezing his shoulder. Julian was... She chose her words carefully as she saw Victor tense up at his name. Julian was a lovely person, but you went on missions without him. You helped so many humans, Victor. Victor wiped his tears on his sleeve. I only did it for him. He showed me a better way to live, a reason to live. He was my North Star. Victor jerked out of her grasp and finished his bottle of whiskey, drinking until the bottle was empty. Leave me alone, Ingrid. I can't help you anymore, he said quietly. Ingrid paced around the room for a bit, her fashionable shoes making soft sounds on the luxurious carpeting. Finally, she stopped moving and Victor held his breath. She sighed, clearly displeased. I didn't want to bring this up, she said, her tone disappointed. But you owe me for Moscow. I'm calling in my favor, Victor. He grunted in irritation, but did not correct her. Ingrid sighed again. Also, there will be lots of alcohol and attractive people at the party, she said, rolling her eyes. Victor looked up. You should have opened with that, he said. I'll get my cloak. Scene, Ingrid's Carriage. The elegant carriage rolled through the countryside, with Ingrid and Victor sitting comfortably inside, and the curtains barely open so the sunlight would not bother them too much. They were vampires, after all. And at least one of them was hungover. Victor hated carriages. He preferred to feel his feet on the ground, or at the very least, a horse he could leap off of. There were few things he disliked more than being trapped in a tiny box on wheels. Between the tiny sliver of sunlight coming through the window and the endless bumping of the carriage over the rough ground, 
his headache was only getting worse. He sighed, sinking into the cushions of the carriage and draping his black cape over his eyes, hoping he could perhaps nap for a while. He drifted off to sleep for a little while, but as often happened, his dreams were haunted by images of Lyran feasting on human corpses. Memories of their last fight and the horrible things he did twisted themselves into Victor's nightmares. He woke with a start as the carriage went over a huge rock and slammed back down onto the road. Ingrid pushed the window open and leaned her head out. Everything all right there, Winston? Sorry about that, madam. It's a little foggy out here, he called back. When she was silent for a moment, he added, It won't happen again. Thank you, she called back and slid the window closed again. Victor pushed his hair out of his eyes and sat up straight, trying to shake the nightmares out of his mind. He pulled out a small pouch of tobacco and carefully rolled himself a cigarette. He opened a crack in the carriage window and lit it. He glowered at the misty countryside, inhaling deeply and blowing the smoke out through the open window. All right, Ingrid, give me your pitch, he said. Ingrid looked up innocently. What do you mean? She asked. Victor looked at her with a dramatic eye roll. You're always up to something, trying to change things, he said. I know you didn't just bring me here to work security for you. You wouldn't call in your Moscow favor for that. So what then? Ingrid sighed. She sat up a little straighter and smoothed out her dress primly. She reached into her purse and pulled out an item, a small round piece of metal with an unusual flowery symbol stamped into it. She held it up for Victor to inspect, like it was her most treasured possession, her eyes glinting with pride. Victor looked at the medallion, wondering if it was magical or if he was supposed to recognize it. He didn't bother trying to figure it out. What is it? he asked. The symbol for the Borealis Society, she said, beaming. I want to start a secret organization devoted to helping supernatural beings and humans to live in harmony with each other. She dropped the medallion into his hand and said, This is our calling card, and I'd like you to be one of the founding members. Victor sighed. Isn't this what you already do? You're always on some mission to save the little humans. How is this any different? Ingrid frowned. This is very different. The Borealis Society will be an organization. We will have rules of conduct and behavior. We'll have operatives, headquarters, and agents. We will conduct targeted missions to take out creatures who are harming humans and possibly to end conflicts between warring factions. At some point, we might even negotiate treaties. Victor turned the little disc over in his hand, feeling the shape and the weight of it. The weight of her idea and how it could shape things to come. What's this for? He asked. It's identification. Show this to another member of the group or someone familiar with us and they will know they can trust you immediately. What if someone steals it? He asked. Ingrid shook her head. 
All our members will be bound together in blood, she said. Your medallion will only be able to be wielded by you. Victor looked at the flowery seal for a moment, watching the sunlight glint off its edges. Then he dropped it unceremoniously into Ingrid's lap. I'll pass, darling, he said. I don't need to be anybody's lapdog. Ingrid looked shocked and dismayed, but she quickly recovered her calmness and quietly put the medallion back in her velvet satchel, pulling the strings tight. So, this party is a recruiting mission for your little group, then? Victor asked, resuming his moody window-gazing. No, Ingrid said firmly. The Borealis Society is not ready yet. It's just an idea right now. First, we need to establish our founders and get a working team together before we can even consider forming the group officially. So the party's just for fun, then? Victor said with a hopeful smirk. <laughs> you know me better than that, she replied. Victor nodded his head. Go on, then. This party is about... Establishing connections, she said carefully. I want to see if we can make our base of operations in England. And to do that, I need to see if I can get good working relationships with all of the locals. The locals? Victor asked. The powerful locals, she amended. Supernaturally powerful. So everyone at the party is a vampire? Victor asked, surprised. All vampire parties were rare and usually very dramatic. Not at all, Ingrid said, looking out the window. There will be witches, werewolves, werecats, possibly a selkie or two. Victor sat up straighter. You've got to be kidding, he said. It's just a casual get-together, she said, with a shrug as though this was perfectly normal. Victor whistled. <laughs> no wonder you want me working security. There's no such thing as a casual get-together with a group like that. Ingrid nodded. <laughs> I'm glad you understand. Additionally, there is someone I want you to meet. A very unique person I've met recently who I think might have the potential for joining the Borealis Society. Victor raised an eyebrow. Go on, he said. I hesitate to call them my protege, since I've learned nearly as much from them as they have from me, she said. But they're called Samson. Victor leaned in closer. Are they attractive? He asked. Ingrid laughed. <laughs> yes, but that's not nearly the most interesting thing about them. They're a vampire who... Victor cut her off. I don't date vampires, he said slumping back into his seat and looking miserable again. Well, that's good news, she said, pulling her gloves out of her purse. This isn't a romantic setup. Samson will be doing security with you, and I'd like you to get to know them better. They're nearly as headstrong as you are, so maybe you could do me another favor and try to pry out some of their secrets while you're at it. <sighs> you're really pushing your luck, Ingrid, Victor said. There better be a lot of alcohol at this party. Ingrid gave him a scathing look. I told you there would be, didn't I? Would I lie? Of course, Victor said, laughing and taking a drag from his cigarette. 
So how will I recognize the Samson fellow? Are they a fellow? Victor asked. Ingrid shook her head. Mm, no, I don't think so. They may have been born one, but they definitely don't follow conventional fashion for men. Or women, for that matter. They are a little of both, but also neither. I tend to just think of them as Samson. Victor nodded. They certainly wouldn't be the first vampire to defy society's conventions, he said. Like owning only black clothing and wearing a floor-length cape all the time, Ingrid said. My cape is fabulous, Victor replied, rearranging his cape across his legs defensively. And black never goes out of style. See, I think you'll get along with Samson, Ingrid said with a smile, as though everything was settled. We'll see, Victor said, pulling his window down so he could ash his cigarette outside. Can you tell me anything else about them? He asked. Not much to tell, I'm afraid, Ingrid said with a sigh. They contacted me a few months ago with a heartfelt letter about wanting to stop vampires from harming humans, asking me to train them. I did a lot of digging into their history, but I don't know much. They've covered their trail very well. I know they are from India originally, although they've lived in England for over a decade at least. They studied at Oxford, then stayed on as a research fellow. About five years ago, they took the name Samson, and that's where the trail goes cold. I believe that was when they became a vampire, but I don't know the circumstances of that. Wait, they're a new vampire? Victor groaned. Come on, Ingrid, what are you thinking? Can they even control their powers yet? Absolutely, I'm not an idiot, Victor, she said tartly. I have been working with them for a few months now, sending them on missions, and they are good. Very good. It's kind of alarming, actually. How so? he asked. They always seem to know exactly where people are, how to find them. They're always two steps ahead. She sounded a bit envious. They're incredibly talented at espionage and planning. Victor chuckled. <laughs> well, that sounds like another vampire I know. Okay, I get it now. So you want me to get a read on Samson, tell you if you're missing something, because you want to bring them into your little secret society, but you're not sure if you're blinded by how much they remind you of yourself? Ingrid smiled. I'm glad you understand the assignment. Victor finished the last of his cigarette and rolled up the window shaking his head in amusement. You never disappoint, Ingrid, he said. Scene, Islington Manor. Victor peered out the window dubiously as they pulled into the large country estate while the sun set over the rolling hills beyond. From the imposing Roman pillars out front to the meticulously curated grounds, it was obvious that the owners of Islington Manor were incredibly wealthy, or at least very invested in projecting that image. Whose house is this? he asked. Ingrid looked up from the piles of paper on her lap. 
She had been looking over information about the guests on the ride over. Marianne Islington. She's a vampire, Ingrid replied. She recently inherited the family business and estate, so she's fairly unknown in these parts. We agreed to co-host the party since we both have interests in the region. What's the family business? He asked. Tobacco, I believe, Ingrid said with a smirk. Well, that's a person I wouldn't mind knowing, Victor replied, looking at his rapidly emptying tobacco pouch. The carriage rolled up to the house, and he saw dozens of servants out front, in fancy dress, rushing around, helping the glamorously attired guests exit their carriages. The footmen worked with an efficiency that seemed almost magical, seamlessly opening doors and whisking carriages away to be parked discreetly nearby. The guests were already milling about in front of the house, and some were standing on a balcony overlooking the grounds. They held drinks, smoked from pipes and cigarettes, and their jewelry glistened in the dwindling evening light like sparkling stars in the distance. Victor barely got a chance to take it all in before Ingrid's driver pulled their carriage around to the side entrance of the estate, the servants' entrance by the kitchens. I'm terribly late, thanks to you, and I don't want anyone to see me come in, Ingrid explained quickly, as she bolted out of the door the moment the carriage stopped. She tapped her foot impatiently as Victor got out, but he would not be rushed when it came to fixing his outfit and adjusting his hair. He shook out his cape dramatically, the black fabric creating an arcing ring of shadows as he fluffed it and tried to remove the wrinkles from traveling. I'm going in through this entrance, you go around the front and circulate. And Victor, try not to upset anyone, Ingrid said. Don't be ridiculous, darling. I'm all about pleasure, Victor replied. Ingrid rolled her eyes and headed into the house through the kitchens, while Victor made his way through the carefully trimmed hedges towards the front of the house. His leather boots crunched loudly on the gravel underfoot as he approached the front entrance, already swarming with dazzlingly dressed guests. He wound his way through the garden, trying to spot potentially interesting people, or waiters carrying drinks, ideally both. The pathway through the hedges opened up onto a large patio area, surrounded by a beautifully maintained garden. A handful of guests were mingling, drinking and smoking in the courtyard. Victor noticed someone standing stiffly to the side, looking out at the arriving guests with a hawkish glare. The person lived up to Ingrid's description of them, and then some. With their warm, copper-toned skin and unusual attire, this could only be Samson. As expected, their outfit did not adhere to a specific gender. They wore the high-waisted button trousers of a man, but the rouge, painted lips, and delicate jewelry of a woman. Their blouse was a unique cut that revealed their shoulders and highlighted the large pearl and sapphire choker they were wearing. They topped off the look with a shimmering shawl of a delicate sheer fabric. The outfit was incredibly outlandish, but Victor didn't pay much attention. One of the advantages of being more powerful than humans was not having to worry about human inconveniences like gender standards. Samson was by no means the first vampire to take advantage of this freedom, and it wasn't particularly notable. What was notable was how shockingly impractical their shoes were for fighting. 
Victor took note of this begrudgingly, wondering if perhaps Samson wasn't as capable as Ingrid had believed. He sighed as the realization dawned that should they actually be needed as security, that duty was likely to fall on his shoulders alone. How irritating. Victor decided to speak with Samson immediately so he could get his obligations to Ingrid out of the way as soon as possible and focus on what was really important, drinking and flirting. As he was moving through the crowd, he passed a couple of posh gentlemen with unruly hair and gruff demeanors. He sniffed the air, then scrunched up his nose instinctively. They were definitely werewolves. Can you believe Ingrid is late to her own party? One of the men said, shaking his head and puffing on his cigar. Typical vampire, the other one said. Always have to be the center of attention. At least we're not anyone's lapdog, Victor mumbled under his breath as he skirted past the men and made his way to Samson. He sidled up beside them and said, Shoes like that are going to be a problem if we actually have to deal with any trouble. If Samson was surprised by Victor's sudden arrival, they didn't show it. They simply turned their sharp, piercing gaze to Victor, looking him up and down appraisingly. Samson was slightly shorter than Victor, but their fashionable French shoes made up some of the difference. They were holding a very small cup of a dark green liquid Victor guessed was probably absinthe. Samson spent a moment looking over Victor with his all-black ensemble, disheveled appearance, and messy hair. They seemed to come to some kind of decision and nodded their head curtly. Lord Nightingale, I presume, Samson said, lifting the tiny glass to their lips and taking a sip. Victor is fine, Victor replied. I'm not a lord. They nodded. Samson, they said simply. And your surname? Victor asked. Samson shook their head, their expression turning dark. Not anymore. That person is gone. I go by Samson now. Victor sighed. He could tell this wasn't going to be easy. It looks like Ingrid has us working together, Victor said casually. It seems that way, Samson said crisply turning away from Victor and resuming their surveillance of the arriving guests. Victor felt the conversation go cold, so he decided it was time for a drink. He turned towards the house, and much to his relief, he saw a bartender setting up near the patio doors. He darted inside and asked for two large glasses of whiskey. The man quickly obliged, and Victor drank one of them in one very long gulp. He put the glass back down on the table, ignoring the bartender's wide eyes, and made his way back out to the patio with his second drink in hand. He noticed the werewolves glaring at him as he walked back and smiled just a little bit. Unlike Ingrid, he had no interest in making friends with werewolves. He took a sip of his drink and approached Samson again. Have I offended you in some manner? he asked. Samson turned, fixing him with an icy glare. Your existence offends me. Victor was stunned. This person was too much. 
Samson held up a hand, stopping Victor from whatever retort he had planned. However, Samson said, I know why you're here, so I suggest we get it out of the way. Victor raised an eyebrow. Look, I don't date vampires. It's not personal, he said. Samson rolled their eyes. No problem. I don't date misanthropic drunkards. That's not what I meant. What did you mean then? Victor asked. Why don't you just tell me your tragic backstory and I'll tell you mine so we can get on with our evening away from each other. What? Victor asked, taken aback. Come on, didn't Ingrid ask you to dig up my dirt? She asked me to find out yours, Samson replied. Well, yes, she may have said something to that effect, Victor admitted, sipping thoughtfully on his drink. Unsurprising, Samson said. You know what she's like, so let's get it over with then. Tell me your story. How do I know you'll give me yours? Victor asked. I literally don't care enough not to, Samson said flatly, and somehow Victor found it believable. He sighed and took a deep breath. It all started with a man, a beautiful and charming man. His name was Julian. And his eyes sparkled like the sun when he smiled. Victor began wistfully, already beginning to drift off into a haze of emotion. Samson held up a hand again. Is there an abridged version of this story? I really don't have time for all your feelings. Victor stepped back bitterly. He really did not care for this Samson character at all. But he soldiered on with a shortened version of events. Fine. Julian was my lover, my partner, my everything, he said, ignoring Samson's eye roll. We were together for many years, even though he was a human. This caught Samson's attention. Your great love was a human? That's surprising, they said. Is it? Doesn't seem odd to me, Victor replied. I thought most vampires only saw humans as meat, Samson said. Victor frowned. How many vampires do you know? Really depends who you talk to. I'll keep that in mind, Samson said thoughtfully. Please continue. Victor nodded. He wanted me to turn him. Naturally, I didn't want to, because of the side effects. Samson shuddered. I remember. They were awful. You were lucky, Victor said. Very lucky. Many people don't make it. Is that what happened to Julian? Samson asked. In a way, Victor replied, turning his gaze to the moonlit garden. He became someone else. Someone terrible. He harmed many people before I could stop him, and the person I knew was gone. Samson didn't say anything for a while, and Victor felt the heaviness grow in the air. He wondered if perhaps Samson's story wasn't as tragic as his own. Your turn, Victor said. Samson didn't look at him when they spoke. I came over from India to study at Oxford. After that, I stayed on at the school in the research department. Then I became a vampire, and now I hunt down vampires who hurt humans, Samson said. They finished their drink, set it down, and walked away briskly. Samson had made it halfway across the patio before Victor jumped in front of them, stopping them in their tracks. 
Nice try, he said. You're not getting out of this that easy. Samson frowned. What more do you want? You know what I want. Why is your face contorted like a sour lemon? Why are you filled with loathing for every vampire who exists? Oxford is boring, but it doesn't make you this miserable. Vampires need to be stopped, they said icily. You're a vampire, Victor replied. That doesn't change what I said, Samson said. Humans need to be protected from them at all costs. Victor was surprised. He had not heard many people talk like this. This was a radical worldview, and he didn't know what to make of it. Before he had a chance to figure out what he was going to say, Samson suddenly turned in the opposite direction, running towards the garden, their whole face changed in a look of pure joy. They darted away through the hedges without a word, but Victor heard them making soft cooing noises. Confused, Victor ran after them. He found Samson crouching on the ground, gently scratching the ears of a fluffy house cat. The cat had gray fur, white paws, and a little collar with a pendant in the shape of a fleur-de-lis hanging off of it. Samson was transformed, a totally different person than the icy sourpuss Victor had just been talking to. Their face lit up with delight as they buried their fingers in the cat's fine fur, listening to it purring softly. Victor crouched down next to them, wondering if maybe there was more to this person than met the eye. Victor liked that. Strange people were his favorite kind. You know, not all vampires are terrible, Victor said softly. They're like cats. You can't really trust them most of the time. They're very self-absorbed, but they can be nice if you know how to deal with them. Hmm. Samson grunted, not looking up from the cat. Ingrid, for example, Victor said. Samson nodded. She is good, they said simply. Then they looked at Victor appraisingly. I'm not sure if you are, though. Victor shrugged. I don't really try to be good, but I guess I'm not really bad either. I just like to drink and party, but I won't abandon you if things get bad. Victor leaned down and ran a hand over the cat's back. Immediately, the cat made a horrible noise and darted away under one of the hedges. Samson grimaced and stood up, their blank cold stare returning. We should get inside. Ingrid will be starting soon, they said, and walked away quickly, their heels clicking loudly on the pavement. Victor sighed and followed them inside. So much for making nice. Scene, the Banquet Hall. Victor entered the spacious dining room and immediately felt a prickling at the back of his neck. He looked around in alarm. He didn't see anything obviously out of place. He just felt something. Something was off. Strange, and he didn't like it. As he looked around at the assembled guests, he realized they were most likely the source of his unease. 
Ingrid was standing at the end of the long table, ushering everyone in as stiffly dressed waiters were bringing champagne flutes and hors d'oeuvres to the table. The guests were, as Ingrid had warned him, a who's who of powerful supernatural beings in the area. The werewolves he had seen earlier, with their thick hair and cigars. Nearby was a few young people, with the aristocratic features and feline eyes, they could only be werecats. There were a number of obvious vampires. He could feel their presences inherently, even in this mix of creatures. And a few red-headed witches with their majestically flowing long hair and beautiful features giving them away. Victor found himself getting nervous. Ingrid was taking quite a risk bringing all these groups into one room, even if it was just for a casual dinner party. He followed the seating assignments to his spot, somewhere in the middle of the large table, seated next to Samson. Wonderful, he thought, more sour conversation. To his right were names he did not recognize. The placard simply said, the Scarborough sisters. He soon saw them, a pair of identical twins, moving across the room to take their spot next to him. He could not easily identify their nature, He wondered if they were perhaps the type of creature he had not met before. The women were well-dressed, if a little bit rural, with sweeping long gray skirts and silky brown hair braided around their head with ribbons. They took their seats next to him, looking at him with rather too large eyes, full of inquisitiveness. "'Good evening. I'm Miranda,' said one, holding out a delicately gloved hand. "'And I'm Juliana,' the other said also holding her hand up. Victor awkwardly shook each of their hands. Victor Nightingale, he said politely. The one seated nearest to him, Juliana, squeezed his hand in hers and looked up with a combination of fear and excitement. You're a vampire, she said, awed. Her sister opened her eyes even wider and leaned forward to look at him closer. Uh, indeed I am, madame, Victor said. Uh, what about yourselves? Oh no, said Juliana, shaking her head emphatically. We're selkies and rarely make it to land. Victor raised his eyebrows in surprise. Ingrid had mentioned that some selkies might be at the party, but it was still unusual. The shape-shifting seal people rarely made it to social engagements, usually preferring to stick to small coastal towns. Her sister nodded in agreement. It's true, we're Selkies. This is such an unusual party. We've never met a vampire before. It's true, her sister agreed. Well, you'll meet many more before the night is through, I'm sure, Victor said, awkwardly extracting his hand from Juliana's grasp. But before he could say anything more, something caught his eye, and he quickly turned his attention to the other side of the room. There, just barely out of sight, behind a potted plant in the corner, was a lock of blonde hair he would recognize anywhere. He let out an involuntary gasp, causing the Scarborough sisters to both look at him in surprise. What is it? One of them asked, but Victor just shook his head. He was in a daze, barely paying attention to them. Uh, nothing. I I just think I saw someone I know. Excuse me a moment, he breathed, standing up quickly and focusing his supernatural eyesight on the person just visible 
in the mirror in the corner of the room. No, he thought. Not tonight. He can't be here. But the closer he got, the more sure he became. Liren was there. He stalked down the aisle of the banquet hall, waiting to see if Liren would make his move. But he didn't. In fact, the face in the mirror didn't move at all. Victor tried to get a better look to see where Liren was standing that he would be reflected in the mirror, but he couldn't find him. Victor tensed as he moved to the end of the table, but before he could reach the end of the room, Ingrid put a hand out to stop him. Victor, what are you doing? She whispered loudly. I need you at your seat. Liren is here, Victor hissed at her. I need to find him. Ingrid raised her eyebrows. That's ridiculous. He's not here. How many drinks have you had? Two. I'm basically sober, unfortunately, he said. He's right there, Ingrid, I swear. But even as he said it, Victor looked back up at the mirror and he did not see Liren or anyone at all. He looked around the room wildly, but saw nothing. Ingrid looked where he had pointed and said, There's no one there, Victor. It's just a mirror. You probably just saw a reflection of a waiter and got confused. Victor's shoulders sagged. Probably, he said. But he didn't think that was true. Not really. I need you back at your seat, Victor. Please, Ingrid said. Victor nodded and made his way back to his chair, looking over his shoulder nervously the whole time. Soon after, Victor had returned to his seat and Samson arrived, looking as uneasy as Victor felt. But before Victor had a chance to ask them why they looked shaken, the waiters were back, taking everyone's drink orders. Victor had two more whiskeys, and Samson took another small glass of absinthe while they waited for Ingrid to begin. They had only nibbled on a few canapes before Ingrid stood up and tapped a spoon on the side of her glass to get everyone's attention. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Islington Manor, she said, her voice strong and confident, her eyes twinkling radiantly. What delight this party has already been, seeing all your beautiful faces looking up at me now. I can tell this is going to be an event to remember. A few people whispered and shuffled in their seats, but mostly all eyes were on Ingrid as she continued her speech. I know some of you may be surprised to see the eclectic mix of guests here tonight, she said, choosing her words carefully. But do not fear, we will not be making treaties or negotiating territories tonight. Tonight's party has but one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to have a damn good time. Some of the tension eased out of the room with this statement, and Victor felt his own shoulders relax slightly. He looked over the guests to gauge their response. Thankfully, most of them looked relieved and excited to be taking the night off from supernatural relations. Sometimes you just want to go to a nice dinner party, even if you're a werewolf. Ingrid continued her speech. Tonight, Merrymaking is paramount. We are here to enjoy good food, strong drinks, and a memorable evening. 
To that end, I have devised a party game to keep us entertained and make this evening just a little more unusual. She had their attention now. There was excited whispers and people's eyes lit up as they looked at Ingrid. Tonight, I propose a game, she said, a challenge of skill and strength to test who among us can root out magic and tether it, can use their wits and prowess to banish the most dangerous of creatures. For you see, my dear friends, Islington Manor is haunted. As if on cue, there was a loud crack of thunder rolling across the sky, and rain began to pelt the windows wildly. A fierce wind rushed through the room and blew out some of the candles, causing the Scarborough sisters to jump in their seats, their eyes wide and afraid. You weren't kidding, someone shouted, and there was chuckles all around. Good show, Ingrid, someone else called out. Ingrid coughed and clapped her hands for attention. My apologies, everyone, she said. I think some of the windows were left open. I'm sure someone will take care of it shortly. As I was saying, there is a ghost which has been haunting Islington Manor. Many servants have reported strange sounds late at night, windows opening and candles flickering. Our gracious hosts have been plagued by fears of what this terrifying spirit might do, and it's up to you, dear friends, to capture and banish this specter. Now, I know most of you would take this quest on for the challenge alone, but I want this party to be a truly memorable one, so I've added a little something to sweeten the pot. Whoever banishes the ghost will win the prize. A hush came over the assembled guests as Ingrid pulled a faintly glowing amulet out of her purse and held it aloft. A few people oohed and awed, and someone said, What does it do? Ingrid paused for dramatic effect, curving her lips into a devilish smile. An amulet? for the curing of hangovers from too much drink. Victor whipped his head up and he focused on the glowing amulet dangling from her hand. There was a lot of excited chattering, laughter, and a few people applauded. Well done, Ingrid, someone called out, and there was murmured agreement. She nodded to the guest with a smile and continued. But first, we feast. Tonight's dinner has been generously provided by our fabulous host, Marianne Islington. A timid-looking woman with bland hair stood up and waved awkwardly before sitting down. All the food, beverages, blood, raw meats, and fish have been ethically sourced and are of the finest quality, Ingrid continued. Please enjoy, and here's to a better future together. Ingrid held up her glass in a toast beaming with pride at an event beautifully executed. Waiters poured into the banquet hall in crisp white uniforms, carrying gleaming silver trays piled high with food and drinks, as well as specialty items for the various types of guests. Blood for the vampires, unusual cuts of meat for the werewolves and werecats, 
and raw fish for the selkies. All the guests looked positively delighted, and the mood shifted from inquisitive to excited as the scrumptious foods were placed on the tables. Victor barely noticed it, though. His eyes were focused on the amulet. Ingrid had placed it on a pedestal under a glass dome in the middle of the table. I need to win that amulet, he said quietly. Samson snorted next to him and reached across the table to grab a piece of shepherd's pie. I'm not surprised to hear that from you, they said, pointing at Victor's large glass of whiskey. What is that, drink four so far? I wouldn't be so quick to judge. That absinthe you're drinking will give you a far worse hangover than anything I've had tonight, Victor shot back. Samson peered down at their tiny glass with a look of dismay. Touché, Samson said. They raised their eyes to look at the amulet, their face shifting into one of confident resolve. Well, I guess I'm going to win that amulet then. Scene. The Study. The dinner was delectable, and the guests were fascinating. The goblets of blood flowed as freely as the liquor, and soon everyone was smiling and chattering happily. The Scarborough sisters regaled him with tales of the Arctic Sea and the tricks they played on lonely sailors. Even Samson seemed to come out of their icy shell after a few drinks and told Victor a very funny story involving a snake and a top hat from the last time they had gone adventuring with Ingrid. As the plates were being cleared, Ingrid had stood up again and made a speech, thanking everyone for their attendance and ringing a little bell as she declared, let the games begin. Everyone had scrambled out of the banquet hall in a mad rush to investigate the manor. But Victor had taken his time in leaving, sauntering slowly out of the dining hall, hoping to find something the others had missed. His meandering had led him through the richly carpeted hallways to the warm and intriguing room he was currently standing in, which appeared to be a study. There were bookshelves lining one wall, and a large globe in a wooden stand was in the center of the room, and a collection of unusual tools made of metal and glass were on the shelves nearby. Victor didn't know much about this sort of thing, but he guessed they were related to navigation and astronomy. He wandered the room, brushing his fingers over the instruments, wondering how he might locate the ghost, when suddenly, a shadow flickered across the metallic surface of a telescope, stopping him cold. Julian, or Lyran, whatever you wanted to call him. He saw his face reflected in the metal, small and distorted by the curving angles. Victor's heart hammered in his chest as he took a deep breath and slowly, carefully turned around. But there was no one there. Victor dashed around the room, looking behind the curtains and running out into the hallway. There was no one there at all. He looked back and forth down the long hallways, but he still didn't see anyone. Then, a moment later, further down the hallway, 
another flicker caught his eye. There was a large mirror hung on the wall in a gilded gold frame, and a shadow was moving inside the mirror. Victor ran up to it and his eyes opened wide in awe. He did not see himself reflected at all. Instead, he was looking at Julian. Hello, darling, Julian said, his delicate eyelashes fluttering seductively. Victor gasped, looking around the empty hallway again. How are you here? Are you real? He asked. I'm here to see you, my love, Julian said, moving closer to the edge of the mirror and reaching out with a soft hand. Victor found himself reaching up to touch the mirror without even realizing he was doing it. He felt a warmth growing inside him, a feeling of joy and comfort. This wasn't Lyran. This wasn't the monster he had left broken and bloodied on a prison floor in France. This was Julian. His expressions and mannerisms were all different, full of kindness and gentle, sweet love. Victor felt his heart flutter and ache with loneliness at the sight of him. I've missed you so much, he said, his fingers brushing the mirror's surface. Julian looked just like he remembered him. The long blonde hair, the devastating good looks, and the little silver North Star necklace Victor had given him was around his neck as it always was. Oh, my darling, I'm so desperate to see you again, to feel your touch, Julian said. He looked around the mirror, his eyes big and nervous. But I need your help. I'm trapped here and I must escape this place so we can be together again. Where are you? Victor asked. How did you get there? Julian shook his head, his blonde hair falling around him like waves of starlight. I don't know. I just know I need to leave, he said. Can't you help me? Victor wanted to question him more, to understand why he was in a misty mirror in the English countryside. But he felt a strange emotion come over him. It was like a hazy drug enveloping his mind. It made him want to ignore all logic and reason, to throw himself towards the mirror hopelessly and do anything that Julian asked of him. How do I get to you? Victor asked breathlessly. What can I do? Julian paused a moment, looking down nervously, his eyes darting from side to side. Victor could feel his heart pounding in his chest. All he could think or feel was that he had to help Julian, no matter what it cost him. When Julian looked up again, his face was the picture of a sad victim in distress, hoping for a rescue from a handsome hero. His eyes were wide and watery, his hands delicately reaching out to Victor as he said, Oh, I just need a bit of your jewelry, and then surely I can escape, and you can hold me in your sweet arms again. Maybe a ring or necklace, even cufflinks, whatever you have. Any piece of jewelry, any little piece of you will help, my love. Victor stepped back, confused. Why do you need my jewelry? he asked. Julian's face shifted. He started to look different. Less soft, 
less needy. His features got sharper and his eyes pierced through the frame as though he might pin Victor to the wall with his gaze alone. Why would you ask me that? He said, his tone still sugary, but now with an edge to it. Don't you trust me? Victor paused. Something was screaming in his mind. Somewhere in the hazy soup of emotions, telling him to just give Julian the shirt off his back and everything else. Something was shouting at him that this was dangerous. I, I, of course I trust you, Victor said. The words seeming to come out of his mouth against his will. He felt the two sides of his mind at war with each other. Something was telling him that this was wrong. He could not trust this person at all. Then, like a ray of sunshine parting the clouds, a single word made it through into the front of his mind. Lirin. What about Lirin? he said, without pausing to think. Julian's face turned even more sour now. He began to look bitter and angry. How dare you, he said. How could you bring that up after what you did? The image of Liren's broken, bloodied body came unbidden into Victor's mind, and he shuddered. What I did to Liren? he asked. No, you fool, Julian shrieked. What you did to me! Julian was scrunching up his face in anger now. Tears began to fall from his eyes, and he wiped at them angrily. It was Liren I hurt, not you, Victor said gently, hoping to convince him. He took over your body, or became you, I don't know. But he was evil. He was a monster. It was him I hurt, not you. <sighs> not that, Julian said, rolling his eyes petulantly. I don't care about what you did to that miserable monster. But how could you let him destroy me? It's your fault I'm gone. You're the one who didn't stop him from taking over my body. Victor stepped back from the mirror a little, his hands shaking as he absorbed what Julian was saying. Could it be true? Was it really his fault? I tried everything to get you back, he whispered weakly, remembering all the spells he had cast on Liren in his sleep, the witches he had made terrible deals with for just a chance that he could have Julian returned. Everything? Really? Julian asked, looking at Victor with a bitter sneer. I find that hard to believe when you won't even give me a single piece of jewelry now. After everything we've been through, you would hold on to a few little trinkets rather than help me? I'm not surprised, really, after what you did, turning me, letting him steal my life. I don't know why I thought you of all people could help me. The words cut through Victor's heart like arrows made of cold steel, slicing into his defenses and pulling at all his deepest wounds. If he hadn't been in such a daze of strange emotions, he might have seen the words for the horrible lies that they were. But he didn't. He just felt a dark, raw guilt gnawing away inside him, eating at his heart with its bitter poison. In that moment, he would have given Julian anything. Jewelry was nothing. He would have gladly given him houses, countries, anything. Unfortunately, however, he didn't have any jewelry or anything else to give him. 
I don't have any jewelry, Victor said, his heart sinking into despair as he felt the realization that all hope was lost. Julian was pretending to look away with his arms crossed in anger. When Victor said this, he focused back on him intently, the anger growing. Don't lie to me, he shouted. How could you throw me away so casually? Was our relationship nothing to you? Victor swallowed the pain deep down inside him. The tears were falling down his cheeks now too, as he yearned to hold Julian in his arms again and make everything all right. It was everything. You are everything, he whispered sadly. But that doesn't change the fact that I don't have any jewelry. Victor emptied his pockets, pulled down his collar, and held his empty cuffs up to the mirror. Isn't there anything else I can do? He asked. Julian's demeanor changed again. This time he was cold and empty. Victor hardly recognized the image in the mirror any longer. He looked completely inhuman and emotionless. No, you are worthless to me. Goodbye, he said. Then the figure turned around and disappeared into the fog, deeper into the mirror. Victor felt something push him back hard away from the mirror. He stumbled and fell onto the floor, hitting his head against the hallway wall. But that wasn't nearly as jarring as the feeling in his mind, like as though something had just unclenched itself from his soul. He looked up at the mirror and saw wispy tendrils of fog leaking out of it onto the floor. A few of them were still curled around his legs. He scrambled backwards quickly, yanking his feet away from the strange spirit fog, and the tendrils began to recede into the mirror, curling themselves up and away from him. The crushing hold on his mind was evaporating along with the fog, and he felt like he was coming out of a bizarre and horrible dream. He realized, with a sudden clarity, that the being he had just spoken to was not Julian at all or Liren, for that matter, but something entirely other. This was the spirit haunting Islington Manor. The specter Ingrid had set them to find, but he could see now this was no ordinary haunting. The spirit had not only manipulated him, but it had controlled his emotions, making him say and do things he didn't actually feel. He shuddered instinctively at the thought. This was not your garden variety ghost. Ingrid would never have created her fun little party game around something this dangerous. He stood up and looked at the mirror. It had returned to normal now, and he saw his own reflection in it, his dark messy hair, the sad eyes filled with fear and anger. He reached out carefully with a shaking hand to touch the smooth glassy surface of the mirror. But as his fingers brushed over it, he felt nothing unusual. No foggy tendrils, no visions of past lovers. Nothing changed. It was just a mirror again. He breathed a sigh of relief. The monster wasn't coming back for him, but that didn't mean this was over. He didn't have any jewelry, so he had no value to this creature. But most everyone else at the party had lots of jewelry. He guessed that this spirit would keep twisting people's emotions and toying with their hearts until it got what it wanted. He ached at the memory of the lies the monster had said with Julian's face, the cruel guilt it had made him feel. 
but he pushed down his emotions. He didn't have time for digging up that pain tonight. People needed his help. He stood up straight and flipped his cape back behind him dramatically and set off down the hallway. He knew exactly who he was looking for. He had to find Ingrid and help her stop this thing before it was too late for the guests at Islington Manor. And so we come to the end of part one of The Haunting at Islington Manor. We leave you tonight with so many questions unanswered. Will Victor and Samson find common ground after their rough beginning? Can they stop the monster from hurting the party guests? And most especially, what does a ghost want with jewelry? All this and more will be revealed in part two of our special the Haunting at Islington Manor. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost with additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at corwinrosewood.com. Thank you for listening.